Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now use me in my weakness to preach your word faithfully. And Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us tonight as we hear your word. I pray, Father, that we would get a bigger view of Jesus, his power and his great kindness to us, Lord. Uh, This can only be done by your spirit, Lord, so we pray that you would be gracious to us and do a a great work uh, by your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, like uh, many growth groups at Bundy, uh, our growth group began the first session of the Empowered Evangelism training course this week. And I'm excited about this course because uh, for the next six weeks or so, uh, the idea of sharing our faith with others will be on our minds and in our discussions. And so I wonder at the outset of this course how you feel about the idea of sharing your faith. Uh, When you hear the word evangelism, what image comes to your mind? Maybe when you hear the word evangelism, uh, you have an image of a almost like a step-by-step diagram that you've learnt somewhere in your Christian life, maybe of a little man with a crown on his head or a, a box with a line in the middle. Maybe when you hear the word evangelism, the image of a, a neighbour or a friend that you've had a good conversation with at some point pops into your mind. But maybe when you hear the word evangelism, it's, it's more of a negative image. Perhaps it's an image of you sitting nervously in a group of friends, saying nothing as an opportunity to speak of Christ comes by. When you think of evangelism, what picture comes to mind? Uh, Well, in our passage tonight, Jesus is giving us the picture he wants us to have in our minds as we think about evangelism going forward. And the image Jesus gives us is the image of himself providing for his disciples in this miracle and in the, in the, uh, the interactions that follow. You see, in this passage, Jesus is giving us a bigger view of his power and a bigger view of his kindness. And as we think about our uh, role as fishers of people in Jesus' evangelistic mission, It's actually crucial that we know Jesus is powerful to make our gospel conversations fruitful and that he's kind to us and gracious to us, sustain us, to sustain us in our faith as we live for him and speak about him. So that's how I intend to break up the talk tonight. A bigger view of Jesus' power to save others and a bigger view of Jesus' kindness towards us to sustain us in that task. So first, a bigger view of Jesus' power seen in this miracle. Uh, As he powerfully draws fish into the net of his disciples, Jesus is able to powerfully draw all sorts of people to faith in himself as they hear the message of him, as they hear the gospel. But before we kind of continue on any further, why do I think this miracle has something to say about the evangelistic witness of Jesus' people? Well, the first reason is because this account 
comes in the context of Jesus' commission to send the disciples into the world. Jesus has died for sin, he has risen to life, he is about to ascend to the right hand of God to rule from heaven. But before he ascends, Jesus sends his disciples out to get ready for their evangelistic mission ahead. We saw this a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But the second reason I think this miracle has something to say about evangelism is because Jesus himself draws that connection when he did a similar miracle three years earlier when he first met the disciples. If you flick in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, there you will see the disciples likewise on the Sea of Galilee, called a different name in that, in that um, book of the Bible, but it's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, likewise, they've caught nothing. And likewise, Jesus comes and directs them where they should cast their nets. And likewise, they catch an enormous bounty of fish. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus actually lets his disciples know the message behind the mission. He tells them in verse 10, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus used this miraculous catch to help his disciples get a sense of his power to make their new evangelistic mission fruitful. This was Jesus' message to the the disciples in the beginning, and I think it's his message, a reassuring message to to them at the end of their earthly time together. Jesus is ascending into heaven, but he will continue to be present with his disciples by his spirit, and his power will continue to make their mission to fish for people fruitful. But let's think about how John describes this account in chapter 21, the message that we've uh, just heard read out. Uh, In the first three chapters, we read how uh, the disciples had obviously left Jerusalem and headed north up into the region of Galilee. Uh, While they're up in the north there in Galilee, they're thinking about what they should do next in light of all that's happened. And and you notice that Peter, he he just can't stand still. And so he decides to go fishing. And it kind of does make sense because you've still got to eat and live amidst all of this. And six of the other disciples decide to join him, verse 3. Now, as was the custom of most experienced fishermen in this day and age, uh, these seven men head out during the night. This was the best time to catch fish, and, and you can actually sell your catch at the morning market the following day. But like so many of my fishing adventures, this fishing adventure uh, proves to be a bit fruitless. Verse 3, that night they caught nothing. But notice what happens when Jesus arrives on the scene. Everything changes. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
Now, I suspect the disciples figure that they've got nothing to lose by listening to this voice they don't yet recognize. And so they do as they're told, and they drop their nets on the right side of the boat. Verse 6 shows us the results. When they did that, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Now, can you imagine their reaction in this moment? There they are, probably expecting nothing, but then they just get everything. Well, the disciples, I think, at this point, surely see the miracle for what it is. And it's at this point that John, the beloved disciple, puts two and two together. You see that in verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter hears this, he's overjoyed. He can't get to Jesus quick enough. And so without hesitation, he grabs his jacket, jumps straight into the water, and swims to Jesus, verse 7, thoughtfully leaving all the others to deal with the huge catch and follow behind him, verse 8. But if you just take a step back from from this passage from the moment, and just sort of glance across what's been happening here. Without Jesus, nothing. With Jesus, something. Without Jesus, the net remains empty. With Jesus, and at his word, it is filled. See, this miracle contrasts the great power and ability of Jesus to produce results with the great inability of his disciples to do the same. These experienced fishermen labor all night on their own, but they achieve nothing. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who makes the difference. And notice in in here, we're told that Jesus isn't stingy with the results that he delivers. John records the number of fish for us in verse 11. 153 large fish. A huge number in that context. You see, just like the first time the disciples met Jesus, this was a moment that would stick in their minds. As the disciples go out as fishers of people, surely they did so with this image of Jesus in their minds. They could go with confidence that just like that huge catch of fish, Jesus was powerful to draw many people into his kingdom through their gospel message. And I actually think you get a picture of that in in, uh, Acts chapter 2, where we start to see the disciples proclaiming Jesus publicly. You see, after Jesus ascends into heaven, after he pours out his spirit, Peter speaks publicly about the good news of Jesus for the first time. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we see the catch the Spirit of Jesus produces. 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, Peter simply casts the net of the gospel, confident that Jesus is powerful to produce the catch. And I think that's the first point of application as we think about how this text relates to us. Because Jesus is powerful to provide the catch, we can confidently cast the net of the gospel. And that's liberating. It it tells us that the fruitfulness of our evangelism doesn't depend on our power or on our ability, but on Jesus' great power, 
on his great ability and provision? Is it not dependent on our polished presentations or wonderful programs? It's not dependent on our level of comfort during any given conversation. No, like his disciples, Jesus uses us in his mission to save sinners, even though we're imperfect, fearful, and often weak people. See, remember, these men who Jesus is interacting with here, his disciples, these same men that he sends out as witnesses were the same guys who had previously deserted him and in Peter's case, completely betrayed him in his hour of need. They didn't have a great track record. But just like his disciples, Jesus uses us in our weakness so that he will get the glory. Uh, We saw this if you did the Empowered course this week in your growth groups as we looked at the Apostle Paul's testimony. Uh, As he talks about coming in to the ancient city of Corinth for the first time with the gospel. Uh, He writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, even the great apostle Paul actually trembled at the thought of sharing Christ. But amidst his personal fear and weakness, he just seems to cling on to that knowledge of Jesus' power in salvation, and so he casts the net and speaks of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what do we see happen? Well, Jesus fills the net and saves many Corinthians. Hence, he's got a church to actually write to at that point. See, Jesus is powerful to provide the catch. So where might... Jesus be directing us to drop our nets this week. Now, it's going to look different in a time of lockdown. Maybe we cast our nets this week in some of our conversations that we have across the road or over the fence with neighbours who we've known for a little while. Maybe we cast the net during a phone call, a Zoom conversation with friends. Maybe we cast the net of the gospel on social media. One of the very encouraging ways that ordinary Christians were doing this during the Easter period was through the hashtag Jesus Changed My Life challenge. Uh, You may have seen it. Christians were challenged to record and post up their testimonies of how Jesus had changed their life. I actually watched one of these testimonies that a a person in our growth group uh, put up online recently. And it was such an encouragement to watch it. It was an encouragement to see a regular Christian casting the net of the gospel online, confident of Jesus' power to bring a catch from it. She simply spoke of God's great love for her, seen in Christ, and how it just kind of changed her life to come to know of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. 
casting the net. And let me say, if you're listening tonight and you're not yet a Christian, I would encourage you actually to watch some of these testimonies on Facebook. You can just type in that um, hashtag Jesus changed my life uh, handle there in the search function. The message of Jesus we share as Christians is a wonderful message. It speaks of God's Son, the Lord Jesus, dying in our place to pay for our rebellion against God who we've sinned against, but then rising again to life to bring us forgiveness and eternal life to all those who would trust in him. You see, Jesus has the power to change your life too with that message. I've recently had a a couple of opportunities to share the message of Jesus with one of our neighbours, and it's been really encouraging to see Jesus bring fruit from that message in her life. And you see, I know that it's Jesus' power at work with her and not my own, um, because my conversations, I feel, have often been very sporadic. And they've been imperfect. I can tell you that because I've seen the blank expressions on her face as I've tried to explain various things. But amidst my imperfection, the message of Christ crucified has worked its way out, and the power of Jesus has made it fruitful. But you see, for every instance of gospel boldness that I might have, or that you might have, there often follows many more instances of gospel timidity, which is often followed by those kind of familiar feelings of inadequacy and and guilt. And I think it can be easy for us in those moments to start thinking about Jesus more like a disappointed personal trainer who is just fed up with our slow progress and kind of wishing he had a different client. If that's you, then I would really um, encourage you to keep thinking and listening to the rest of the passage. Because in the rest of this passage, we actually see a big view of Jesus' grace and his kindness. Grace and kindness to imperfect disciples. So point two, this passage gives us a bigger view of Jesus' grace and kindness. One of the things I witnessed every Saturday morning growing up was my dad making breakfast for my mum. Often he would make her breakfast in bed. Uh, And then he'd just kind of sit up against the wall and chat with my mum as she ate breakfast and they would just enjoy each other's company. Dad's gesture to my mum was really a demonstration of his ongoing love and service to the woman he's devoted to. And you see, in the same way, Jesus' preparation of breakfast for his disciples in this particular morning demonstrates his continuing love and care and grace to them. I mean, think about it. These guys had been out all night fishing, catching nothing. They would have been tired, cold, particularly Peter, and hungry. Now again, don't forget these were the same disciples who had all deserted Jesus recently in his moment of need. And you see, if they had done that to me, 
and I saw them on the beach coming towards me, I'd actually be thinking, you lot can make your own breakfast. But here is Jesus, their crucified and now risen Lord, inviting these cold, wet and hungry disciples over for a hot breakfast. He had prepared it for them, and you can almost smell the aromas wafting across the beach as they come towards him. Look at how John describes it for us in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now you can almost just imagine the disciples standing there beside this huge catch of fish, just kind of staring at Jesus. Amazed, joyful, clearly speechless, I think. Maybe a bit of hesitation. I mean, they knew how they had failed him. But notice how gracious and kind Jesus is with them. He reassures them in this moment and lets them know that they are welcome to come and eat with him. This meal is for them. You see it in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They all knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Though they were imperfect disciples who had failed him in his moment of need, he was still committed to being gracious and kind to them. Jesus had brought to them forgiveness through his death on the cross. These men were now his redeemed and forgiven people. He hadn't come in this moment to scold them for past failures, but actually to offer them ongoing grace and kindness. He had come to let them know that he was committed to sustaining them now and into the future and within their evangelistic mission ahead. Their strength for their evangelistic mission would not come from themselves but come from Jesus. You see, notice how Jesus is kind of doing everything for his disciples here at this point. It's Jesus who prepares their breakfast, verse 9. He invites them, verse 12. He feeds them, verse 13. Jesus loves, nourishes, and sustains his imperfect disciples. And this is the second big point of application I want to wrestle with as we think about evangelism. Jesus is gracious to us within our struggle to evangelize. The gracious and kind Jesus we see here is gracious and kind to you. He doesn't want to beat you over the head with your failures. He invites you to be helped and nourished by him in the mission that he has given you to share your faith. See, remember Jesus' words to us in the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Not only does Jesus tell us to go and make disciples, he reassures us by telling us that he will be present with us to help us in that mission. And surely I am with you always, 
even to the very end of the age. I have a particular neighbor who I've just struggled to speak to Jesus about. I feel like there have been opportunities that I've missed, moments where I could have said more. Uh, And now I think the tendency for most of us in these moments, after repeated failure, is just to get very discouraged at our lack of casting the net. And if we do talk to God about it, we usually want to let him know just how sorry we are. But this this passage has challenged me to have a bigger view of Jesus' grace and kindness to me. You see, instead of just saying I'm sorry, it's actually worth saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are gracious and patient with imperfect disciples like me. Please sustain me in my mission to share you with this man. Please feed and nourish my small faith. I need the strength and boldness that only you can give for this mission. See, don't get discouraged and stand back from Jesus. As we see in this passage, Jesus welcomes you to himself. He wants his people to come and receive his grace and kindness. He's committed to nourishing his people's faith in him and sustaining us for the evangelistic task that he has called us to. You see, the same Apostle Paul who had said that he felt fearful and weak and trembling as he sought to tell the Corinthians about Jesus, says in another letter where his strength to actually pull the trigger and tell them about Jesus actually comes from. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can, do all, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, even the great apostle Paul didn't draw strength from, his, from himself, but from his Lord. Now, my dad tells the story of one of the few times he was asked to preach a sermon in the church that he grew up as a young man. Uh, He was feeling nervous and kind of out of his depth uh, during this and very kind of, I guess, inadequate for the task. But when he arrived on the pulpit, he found a little note left uh, for him by the minister's wife, which just had those words of the Apostle Paul on it. I can do all things, I can do all this through him who gives me strength through Jesus. You see, Jesus gives us strength, Jesus gives strength to weak and flawed disciples and helps us to keep speaking of his good news from the pulpit, over the fence, on the phone, down the street, wherever we find ourselves in conversation. And so if you feel discouraged or guilty by your evangelistic efforts to date, go to the one who welcomes failures at the breakfast table with him. Go to the one who will sustain you, nourish your faith, and strengthen you for the next time an opportunity comes your way. Uh, Well, John 21, 1-14 reminds us of Jesus' great power and of his great kindness to us as we seek to live for him and share his gospel. So how might the picture of Jesus given in this passage encourage you to be bringing him into your conversations 
with others this week. I don't know about you, but I've actually found this time of social isolation to be actually very social at one level. Um, We've been going out on our daily exercise walks as a family, and I've got to say, I've never seen so many of my neighbours out and about doing gardening, going for walks themselves. Yesterday, for example, we had at least four socially distant, big conversations with different neighbours that we bumped into along the way. But what I've noticed a little bit about myself is just how infrequently I kind of bring any mention of Jesus into some of these conversations. You see, when we get asked about how we're going as a family during the lockdown period, it's actually much easier, much more comfortable to just speak about the quirks of homeschool or or talk about how it's hard with three young kids boxed in. It's actually easier to speak about that than it is to speak about the Lord that we're trusting in to provide for our needs at this time. But you see, I actually love our neighbours and I want them to know the life-saving message of Jesus. So how do I push through my doubt, my awkwardness? How How do I not become discouraged by my poor track record? Well, I think it's by keeping this image of Jesus in my mind. You see, if he is powerful to bring fruit from any gospel conversation, then he can bring fruit from the gospel conversations I have with my neighbours. If he is kind and gracious to his imperfect disciples, then I can draw strength from him and actually ask him to help me pull the trigger the next time an opportunity comes. And if I falter still, he still calls me back for more grace and more help. I'm going to pray now that Jesus would imprint on our minds a bigger view of his power and a bigger view of his kindness as we go into this week with the message of the gospel on our lips. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are powerful to bring fruit from our gospel conversations. Help us to take confidence in your power and keep casting the net of the gospel in people's lives. May we see your power at work as we do this, Lord. May we see an abundance of people come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you would continue to remind us of your kindness. Uh, We are not perfect disciples. We struggle to give you glory by sharing our faith. We struggle and we often feel discouraged. Thank you that you are kind to us. Thank you that you nourish our small faith and give us the strength to live in obedience to you and your call. And we pray particularly, Lord, that you would give us strength to heed your call to make disciples of those around us by sharing our faith in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.